Hey, it's Josiah. Before we get started with this episode, I have something very special to share with you. You know, we've delved deep into what it means to be an Enneagram 5 together for the past few years, especially with our friend of the show, Sam Greenberg, or as many of you know her, the Enneagram expert. And now we want to go even deeper with you. We've worked together with Sam to craft an online workshop exclusively for type 5s to help you unlock the secrets of connection with every Enneagram type. This is not just another generic workshop. It's a deep dive into understanding and nurturing relationships tailored specifically for your unique perspective. Imagine getting practical, actionable insights on connecting with each of the nine Enneagram types all through the lens of a type five. Sam's going to guide you on how to build meaningful relationships, sharing strategies and insights specifically designed for fives. I've seen firsthand how Sam's insights can transform understanding and communication. And I'm so excited to partner with her to bring this exclusive workshop to you. Whether you're looking to deepen current relationships or navigate new ones, this workshop is a game changer for fives seeking genuine connection. Spots are limited, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. So head over to Enneagram5.com connection to secure your place and begin your journey towards richer, more authentic connections. Once again, go to Enneagram5.com connection or visit the link in the description to get your ticket to the workshop today. Okay, so I am very, very excited to announce our guest. She's a PhD candidate and an Enneagram coach examining sex and relationships through an Enneagram lens. Uh, she's a five-wing four, and she has uh, 13 years of experience using the Enneagram for self-insight and to help others. And so without further ado, Sam E. Greenberg also known as the Enneagram Sexpert. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks. Hello. You are doing your PhD on sex in the Enneagram. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about like what that process has looked like that so we can get some context around how you've come to, you know, learn all of this? Yes, I'd love to. Um, so I'm doing a, a large mixed method research study on Enneagram type and sexual desire and how they relate. And... Um, a lot of the information I have on sex in the Enneagram comes from, you know, some informal pilot study work that I did, as well as like my coaching practice, as well as general observations. Um, and I have a couple of colleagues that have already conducted some research or are in the process of conducting some research, but they already have some conclusions. Um, so I've pulled from their work. And um yeah, I I'm in the actually still recruiting for the study if anyone wants to be in it, but um, it's going to be about 600 people. I have, you know, about 500 now and all all the types and they answer questions about how they experience desire, what, you know, what turns them on, what turns them off, like what their preferences are and um, also doing interviews. And the idea is to analyze the, you know, the quantitative data statistically and get a really good, robust sense of how each type differs sexually. That's great. I love it. I love that, you know, this isn't just coming from 
you having a few conversations with some of the types or anything like that. Oh, You've God done help some me. immense, <laughs> immense research there. I would never go on a podcast if that was the case. <laughs> I'm, I'm a five. I'm more likely to be like, I've studied this for 20 years. And now I'm finally going to say one sentence about it. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so let's let's jump in. Let's just r- get right into it. Um, you know, we've we've had some preliminary conversations, and and like I said, I the reason why I'm excited about this conversation is because this this is something we don't really talk about much, and especially you know what we love to do on Enneagram Five, obviously, is deep dive into one number and don't just skim the surface. And so, especially at that level, um, these conversations just aren't being had. And so that's why I'm really, um, I'm really glad to, you know, create this safe environment where we can have these conversations and, and dig deeper. Let's start out, um, Sam, from your perspective, what is a, what, what, what's it like to have a five as a sexual partner? Like what's a five sexual partner like? Okay, fun. So fives are like the sexual intellectual and it's sort of like, Fives might relate to sex more through the mind, such as through sexual fantasies and ideas. We're more, oh, you said this, I am a five. So that's why I'm going to say we a lot. When I talk about the other numbers, (laughs) I don't say that. But um, we're more heady, more fantasy oriented. Um, We can often lack a certain body presence insects that other types come by more easily. And um, we can be isolated, able to compartmentalize sex as, you know, a different part of our lives and other parts. Uh, You know, like we can compartmentalize anything, basically. Um, And we can ignore sometimes or not notice like body feedback as to if we're enjoying something physically. Like, if our head is happy, then we think that it's great. It's all good. This is more like from our perspective. And then I'll say also how it's experienced by others. So like a five might be more into the idea of what they'll be doing sexually with a partner um, that more than just by physical stimulation. Whereas if you have like an instinct type, they're very turned on by just physical stimulation. And sometimes fives can be like more into pornography and erotica and things like that because it's like the intellectualizing of the sexual idea. You can process it through the mind. So that's like a snapshot kind of more stereotype of what fives are like sexually. But as experienced by other types, they can experience a five as like all in or all out. So if we decide, because, you know, we're great at like our laser focus, um, if we decide that like being sexual with a partner or the relationship is what we're really interested in, then it's like we're diehard about it. But if we're focused on something else, i.e. projects, um, you know, special interests, whatever at the time, then it can seem like we're all out, like we're just not interested in sex, we're not interested in intimacy, and like, you know, it tends to go back and forth. So it can be a little frustrating to other types. And this applies to the relationship at large, not just the sexual life. Like, you know, partners can feel like fives are all in or all out of the whole relationship um, as well. And then it can also feel like, do they want it? Do they not? Like, I can't read them. Why does it seem like they're fine going without intimacy when I need it? You know, depending on what type the other person is. And partners can also sometimes notice that fives are not in their body so much. 
And this can look like maybe they're annoyed by that or it can look like they feel the need to be like more attentive to whether the, the five is having a physically uh, physically having a good time because the five doesn't even know if they're having a mentally a good time. They might not know if they're having physically a good time. So that's just, I just threw a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah. So let there's, yeah, there's a ton there to dig into. Um, going back to the, the kind of disconnecting from the body part, is that, is that something that like, how does, how does that typically show to like to other, to the partners? Um, how, like, what are some signs that fives are, are disconnecting in that moment? Do you think? A few things. It depends how in tune the partner is to things like body presence. Again, I think like instinct types are more in tune to that, uh, more attuned to that. So and when you're saying instinct types, just for the people oh, who aren't familiar, what sorry, is that? Sorry, that's eight, nine, and one. Okay. Um, and those are the types that are more identified with the body. So from their perspective, it might seem like, um, you know, I'm not one of them, so I can't exactly explain it, but it might seem like literally we're just not like we, we have abandoned the body as if we left the building. And if they pull into their mind, they might be able to find us in our mind or trying to connect in a head-to-head way. But it just might feel like an absence in like physically on our bodies and they can sense that. There can be, you know, not to say like fives are just like thinking about philosophy when they're <laughs> when they're like in bed, but um we can get kind of distracted and like caught up in ideas a little bit and then most types can just catch a general lack of presence and then there's more like insidious things like if you know this is more specific to women but if you're having like a lot of sex that your body's not happy with that you might get like chronic utis or something and the partner's like oh what like something is off with this but you're not telling me you don't have sex so like what's going on so there can be like really obvious things like that or like you know the the partner the five partners just not like reaching orgasm or having like seeming to have a pleasurable time and then the partner's like confused and probably annoyed that the five isn't in their body like guiding them to do what feels good okay so some expectations um especially what you said of the the instinct types um would be for us to be more in tune with our body um and when we get caught up in our head it could it sometimes be a perception that we're just not connected in the moment. Um, <laughs> um no, I mean, <laughs> I'd like it to be the case, but no, like we're really not. We think we are often because, like, okay, we do connect through the through the mind, and this isn't like again, this isn't like we're weird robots who like aren't into sex. It's like we are into sex, but we're into sex. M- more from a a head perspective more from a like feeling the fantasy thinking about what's happening and that's there's nothing wrong with any of this just like there's nothing wrong with being a five in general but we will talk and think about how to sort of transcend the some of the habits of the type if if you want to yeah we'll definitely get into that so one thing i'd love to to spend some time talking about here is the you know because Cody's a five wing six and I'm a five wing four and Sam you're a five wing four and and then we also are, are different subtypes as well and so I'd love to spend some time uh, picking uh, apart those distinctions between the you know because the five 
One of the things that you had said previously is um, the the five subtypes, especially, are very different. Yeah, sexually, definitely. And so, could you could you tell us about that? Yes, um, I also want to mention. I think this sort of can fit in here too. I also want to mention about like the levels of health or development or integration yeah. and how that impacts it. So it's there's sort of like all different types or subcharacteristics of the five that can impact this. So um, I'll say something about the level of health first. So obviously, like anything, this is all impacted by your level of development or integration, um, of course, as well as by wing and subtype. But a less healthy five or a more disintegrated five is going to be much more detached during sex, probably less interested in sex in general, um, because they might be more isolated as a person and more like steeped in their own private world and their own private mind palace if they are having sex they might be using it like an addictive way a numbing way they probably are very easily having sex with no emotional attachment which we can talk about that also i think differs by wing and subtype as well and like in the middle levels of health is where you see the typical patterns that we we just discussed and then like at the highest levels of health we're going to sort of cease to look like a 5 and just be um, more integrated in our sexuality in general does that make sense yeah yeah definitely so what about the the subtypes okay so do wings first or subtypes first whichever makes more sense okay um let me do wings first um okay so a four wing is, I mean, this is sort, you could sort of figure this out intuitively. A four wing is going to be more imaginative, more romantic, and a bit more feelings and heart oriented, although, you know, way less than, than a feeling type would want us to be. And that's two, three, and four. Um, but we probably are a, at least aware as a four wing if there's emotional connection or not, if there's emotional chemistry or not, if that's off, where a six wing might be a little bit less aware of that. A four wing is a little more driven by emotional chemistry, like I said, um, a little bit more prone to emotional attachment related to sex, although it's still not a lot because we're fives and we're not really that big on attachment, period. Probably all avoidantly attached, actually, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> and uh, more like artistic, fantasy oriented like we can relate it to sexual connections like a five with four might write a poem about it you know <laughs> like we're a little bit more yeah like feeling deep feeling and and like artistic and emotional again much less than an actual four would be and then a six wing would be a bit more interested in like predictability in their sex their sexual life like they would want advanced knowledge of what the sexual connection is going to look like so they can um, feel comfortable and they'd be more interested in sex as like an expression of safety in the relationship or consistency or like reassurance that the relationship is stable. Make sense? Yes. I'm not a six wing, so I'm trying to picture that in my head. So yeah, it's right. The, it's correct. Okay. okay. Cody says it's correct. Perfect. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the five wing four was spot on for me too. Okay. Awesome. We're it's on the right track. <laughs> it's always good to get good feedback. I'm a researcher. Like I'm, I'm in the process of doing research on this, and there isn't very much done yet. There's yeah. almost nothing. So, I mean, this is all in development. If you are listening and you're like, "That's not true at all," like message me, and we'll talk about it, and I'll, you know, reform my conclusions. Okay. So, subtypes. Should I explain what the subtypes are? Or uh, you know, a good a primer on the subtypes would probably be good. Mm. Okay, we'll do a, a quick one. Um, 
So there's three subtypes. Um, you know, any of the types can have any of the three subtypes. And general, I'll just say a word about them in general. Um, so the self-preservation subtype is more concerned with the physical body safety and comfort. The self-pres would be very interested in the home, um, the home being comfortable, their their physical body being comfortable. If you meet them, they have just like a coziness about them. You know, they wear comfortable clothes. They carry extra pens. They like have snacks in their bag. They're like, they're they're quite attentive to the body's needs. Um, this is a little bit mitigated by fives who in general are not remembering that we have a body. So <laughs> it's a little different, but um, then the social subtypes are concerned with social hierarchy, community, the the group dynamic in any given situation, how different people in the group feel, um, their place in the social hierarchy. I mean, you guys could probably speak to this a little bit better because I think you are both social subtypes. And then the sexual subtype is, is um, much more concerned with passion, intensity, depth in the interaction. They tend to be, if you talk to them, they tend to feel more intense as people. They're like really interested in like super deep questions right away. Again, like fives are anyway, but sexual subtypes are really like people say like they want the juice, like they're looking for the juice in life. They want whatever. It doesn't matter if it's dramatic, like they just want to feel it kind of. So with fives, um, the self-preservation subtype is the most fivey, like it's stereotypically. It's like the person who stays at home all the time and like probably the most antisocial of the five subtypes. Maybe they're not carrying snacks and stuff because again, fives don't really remember that we have a body, but they're probably like at home playing on the computer a lot. And then the social five subtype is more um, interested in like elite groups, being part of those, um, seeking like seeking solace and, and even like isolation and withdrawal as part of the elite group rather than by themselves. And the sexual five subtype is um, what's called the counter type, which means they look different um, than a typical five. The sexual five is more, appears more for like, not more extroverted, but more, they appear more socially at ease even if they are not feeling that way. And they, they appear to have more like easy chemistry with life. They're kind of more intense. So that's an overview of the subtypes. And then how it relates to sex is, so the, sec the um, self-preservation five subtype, as I said, they're concerned with remaining safe, they are less assertive and more like stay at home. So there's less idealization and, and romance related to sexual partners, much more awkwardness. Probably they're having the least amount of sex of any of the five subtypes. I don't want to insult people. I mean, maybe they're having lots of sex, but um, from what I can tell, because they're not like prone to going out looking for sexual partners and stuff, if they're not in a committed relationship, they're probably having less sex on the other um, subtypes. When they are partnered, they're going to be happier with the sexual routine, unlikely to be like flirting with other people or noticing other people because they just want to be comfortable, you know, and they pretty much just want to be at home being comfortable. The social five subtype has better social skills um, usually than the self-preservation. So it is somewhat easier to find sexual partners because they're um, the social subtypes are more personable and they're also better at reading the reaction of the partner. So sex will entail more of a give and take because um, they, they could be more tuned in to the partner almost as like a mini social um, group of two. And 
They may be better at beginning relationships. They may not be great at pushing the relationship to like a deeper place and establishing a deep connection because they're quite aware of more like surface level um, social qualities, but a little bit less adept at navigating like depth in a relationship. Okay, and then I need a breath after this. And then um, <laughs> the sexual subtype, this is where I, I've mentioned um, the subtypes differ so much for fives because of the sexual subtype being the countertype. The sexual subtype five looks very, very different than the other two. Whereas for other types, sometimes the, the subtypes are more similar. So in a, a sexual five, there's much more overt um, sexuality about, around like the personality. They, the people just kind of feel more sexual, more passionate and intense, mo much more interested in sex and more prone to having like issues with if they're not having sex. There's more of a sexual presence, a sense of like mystery about their sexuality. They attract partners very easily even without being super social and they have a strong sense of like who they're attracted to that they're attractive to others much more like idealizing of sex and partners and love than the other two subtypes so it almost i mean it's almost like a different type within the type it, it is quite different and then um my friend and colleague frederick who has done some of the other research on um sexuality and the Enneagram says that the sexual subtype fives are the quote he says the kinkiest subtype of all types of all numbers um and he's like it's like shocking like it was completely against his hypothesis or whatever but um so there's that I mean take or leave that so that's the subtypes okay so um that was that was a lot you can take a breath if you need Thanks. to take a breath here <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so let's uh, kind of in, now that we have that that context, if we could um, maybe s take a step back here a little bit and look at um, how we can um, navigate some of these sexual relationships with um, with others, and and also how how they can navigate uh, the relationship with us. All right. So um, I know specifically uh since you know this is this is our podcast and uh we get to ask the questions here uh i'm really interested in the five four dynamic because my wife is a four okay and i'm sure cody uh would be interested in the five six dynamic because his uh, girlfriend is a is a six so yeah maybe we can start there and then uh and then wherever else we feel it needs to go okay um yeah let me say like a word about this overall and then we can dive into like those specific numbers because we clearly can't do like five with every single number that would take really long time but i'll say something about each triad so like the heart types which would be two three and four might get frustrated by fives apparent lack of interest in emotional connection and heart-centered connection before during and after sex um, and this would apply to four, but we can talk more specifically about fours. Um, and there can be a mismatch in terms of what causes desire because heart types may feel sexually turned on by emotional intimacy, whereas fives might ha um, see emotional intimacy as like totally separate from sexual desire, depending maybe if they have a four wing, they can get intertwined. But that's all the heart types. And then the instinct types, which is eight, nine, and one, as we talked about at the beginning, might be frustrated by fives disconnection from the bodily experience because most instinct types are turned on by physical touch. They're sort of like the 
the simplest, I mean that in a good way, in terms of um, like sexual desire. It's like, touch me in a sexual way and like, I'm turned on. That's it. And fives are a little bit more complex or or just different than that. So that can be confusing um, for instinct types and their more heady approach to desire. They just won't understand it. But um, neither of your partners is an instinct type, so we can skip <laughs> to head types. Head types are going to have a strong affinity in terms of a more heady approach to sex, and they may share an interest in fantasy or role play or other areas of sex that stimulate the brain. But the, the sexual relationship can sometimes be kind of devoid of intimacy, emotional intimacy and physical intimacy, because for long periods of time, they're both fine to like stay content with a, he a head compartmentalized surface level sexual relationship. So that's like the the big picture. A five with a four specifically. So let me tell you about fours. Um, fours, like emotional connection and emotional closeness is an essential part of desire for fours. Some fours would say like an absolute requirement before they even experience desire is they have to feel emotionally um, safe, emotionally close, emotionally connected. So if things feel even like a tiny bit emotionally off, or even emotionally boring in the relationship, a four may not be down for sex. Whereas like a five, because we can compartmentalize, we might see that as separate. Like, okay, like let's work on that. But like, hey, let's also have sex too. Like, you know, why does it need to proceed? Conversely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> are you blushing? I can't tell. Uh, no, just feeling a little bit called out there. He's out. <laughs> Another wasn't blushing. Absolutely blush. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I blush really easily. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, conversely to that, a four usually does feel like the need to connect sexually more often because not necessarily more often than fives, but just in general, they like to connect sexually often because they um, they want to feel loved. They want to feel like the relationship is is on track, like everything's good between you. So a four can end up like adapting to the five sexual preferences more than vice versa due to their higher empathy and like need for connection. So as a general rule, like a four would probably be more bothered by a sexual dry spell than the five would be. So they're going to maybe compromise more to make sure that they're in connection. My advice for, I didn't think at all about like what other types should do for us. I just thought about what five should do. <laughs> um, <laughs> my advice to a five with a four would be um, a few things. One, be careful you're not filling like a narcissistic role in the sexual and intimate space because fives kind of tend to do that anyway. And fours are so empathetic and like so, dare I say, needy, no offense fours if you're listening, um, that they're sort of, they'll sort of like sacrifice themselves and the five will be more central so that they can just be, like I said, be in connection. So be careful about that. And then I would be careful about um, fives. I'd be careful about withdrawing into like secrecy and privacy to gain emotional distance because like and clarity because fours immense emotionality can be really overwhelming and totally get it. But there is a bit of a pattern where the five gets like puts up with it, puts up with it, puts up with it, doesn't have any boundaries and then like freaks out and does something weird, like disappear and don't answer their phone. And like, that's not cool to do. So be careful about that. And then like, if you want the four to be 
sexually happy and like interested in sex reflect back their internal world to them so they feel seen that's like a big turn on for them do anything that makes them feel emotionally safe be willing to discuss the emotional issues that they want to discuss um and these things are basically like foreplay to a four so it can these things can be kind of like overwhelming to a five but if you're you're wanting to get them in the mood like (laughs) listen to them about their emotions and reflect it back to them. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> when you say, when you say reflect it back to them, like, what do you mean? <laughs> You're like, I'm taking notes. Can you please tell me more? <laughs> I'm writing down <laughs> frantically. Like show them that you really are listening, that you really hear them and not just like fives do where we just repeat back information like a list <laughs> regurgitating <laughs> we're great at that we're like i remember everything you just said and like the other types are like that's not the same as listening like basically go into empathy and feel what they're feeling and show them that you feel it like if they're sad be sad for them if they're whatever be like feel what they're feeling go into an emo- it's in like an emotional reflection rather than like an intellectual one and that'll make them feel really seen i could never be with a four (laughs) (laughs) you'd be surprised what you can do cody i have been (laughs) continuously surprised (laughs) this is fun thoughts feelings (laughs) uh yeah i mean i had i think that i resonate with a lot of what you what you just said um so obviously i'm not going to go into any detail because i don't want to call out my wife on anything but (laughs) yeah totally so let's turn the tables on cody See if we can make him blush. <laughs> okay. We will try. Okay. So let me just tell you about sixes first. Um, we touched on it with the six wing. So sixes want sex to be dependable, reliable, and reassuring. They want to know what to expect. Like I sort of mentioned with the wing, they see sex as like a reassurance of the relationship stability. Whereas like a four sees sex as a reassurance of the relationship's emotional connection. So like same behavior, very different reasoning. Sixes can be great sexual partners um, in general, but for fives, because fives sometimes have like unusual and esoteric sexual interests. And sixes are like very cool about that. Like sixes are super accepting of anything. They just need to know what's going on. So sixes are quite likely to be accepting of fives withdrawing from sexual interest for times of great focus or whatever. They they're just they're they have super high tolerance for like a variety of um, preferences and a variety of behaviors from the partner. But again, they want to like know what's going on. And as soon as they know what's going on and it's predictable, then they're good with it. So fives can sometimes become a little bit bored or frustrated with the sixes need for like comfortability, structure and routine sexually. And this is all in the case of like phobic sixes. If we talk about counterphobic sixes, that's quite different. Um, There's relatively little conflict around sex and relationship structure usually in like in a five six pairing due to like the double head type that i talked about where there's the the affinity where they actually sort of both relate to sex the same way a little bit more through the mind so um, a six probably isn't going to get frustrated with the five's lack of body presence or emotional presence because they don't super have those things either I guess for advice, I'd say it's important to make space for emotional intimacy in your sex life as a five six pair because 
this does not come naturally to either of those types. So again, you can get like, there's a lot of affinity. We enjoy the same things. Um, We've agreed upon what we like sexually and we just continue to do those things and it's great. But there's nothing pushing the envelope. There's nothing pushing you into an emotional place or a spiritual place because you're just very comfortable where you are. Advice for fives with sixes would be communicate your intention to withdrawal in advance. Like if you're withdrawing in general from the relationship or even from sex because you're like, whatever, really focus on something else or you're like sleep deprived, it doesn't matter. But just communicate it in advance. If you just like pull away, they're going to freak out. It's going to trigger all their anxiety. But if you've built a structure and routine where you're getting alone time or you're getting what you need, as long as they know about it, they're going to be supportive. And like I said, don't pull like a last minute disappearing act. Hey, that's the same advice for with fours and sixes, again, for different reasons. Um, and use reassuring language with your sixth partner, even if you're not going to see a benefit to that and you think it's kind of like stupid or silly. Sixes need to be reassured of the relationship stability. Like they often want to be reassured before they want to get it on, right? Like a four needs that emotional reflection before they feel desire. A six needs to feel safe. So consider reassurance to be like the sixes foreplay preference and um, do whatever, you know, specific to your partner makes them feel like you're not going anywhere. You're there for them. The relationship is stable. And then that's going to help them feel comfortable sexually. I don't see any blushing. No, that all sounds exactly right. (laughs) <laughs> there's nothing like really surprising or calling out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I would say that that's there's there there's a lot of I've found more compatibility generally both emotionally or physically with a six than any other type that I've ever da- uh, dated or been with. So I think that okay. that's I think what you're saying is completely accurate, actually, and Great. was helpful. <laughs> Good. As a five, I really started off all of my relationships um, very physically. I didn't really know how to connect with my partners emotionally. So really the only way I knew how to connect was um, sexually. So I was very sexually active as a teenager um, in college. That's really the only way I knew how to connect with my partners, which you can imagine is not really a healthy thing. So some of those relationships just did not develop because of that. And I also grew up in a very conservative religious household. So I really didn't process any of that well. I viewed it as um, that I was just sinful. I didn't understand why I was the way I am and um, that there was something wrong with me. So it really took a few decades into um, my adult life to kind of figure this out. that it was really just an issue with connection and maybe overly emphasizing sex in a relationship because I really didn't know how to navigate the emotional side of things. As a five, sex can be so frightening because in a lot of ways it's unpredictable. Whether it's with a consistent partner or someone new, The fear of not being enough of what they'd hoped for can be paralyzing and ruin the enjoyment of it entirely. In my unhealth, I started my sex life by only choosing consistent partners so that I could manage their expectations of me and manipulate the situation entirely. (laughs) 
And then I switched to non-frequent partners so that I would never have to see that person again and I could get what I needed without being responsible for upholding a relationship with them after. Both of these plans of attack proved painful and exhausting for me. If I could change sex, specifically in heterosexual relationships, I would make it more equal and reciprocal. Sex inherently has hierarchies which are strongly biased against women. It's seen as something done to women rather than done with them, and because these fantasized ideas as a whole were largely created by men, it's nearly impossible to live up to the presuppositions, most of which were created without realistic women in mind. So, as a five, my fears of not being capable or meeting the expectations of others are exponentialized when sexual hierarchies come into play. So, Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because I know you said that you weren't anticipating talking about how uh, other numbers can uh, navigate relationships with us. But if you could, uh, being put on the spot, uh, if you could maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, other, our partners might um, also, how, how do our partners turn us on? Like, <laughs> I don't know how to rephrase that, that question any better than that. So we'll just go with it. Oh my God. Okay. Um, yeah, let's try it. So. I, I don't know exactly, but I think a few things would come to mind. One is like, listen to her ideas and be really interested in them. That's <laughs> yep. like totally great. Love that. Like fives tend to be like sapiosexual, which means we're turned on by intelligence. We are turned on by like intellectual chemistry. So um, for other types like... I imagine fives probably are mostly partnered with intelligent people because that's like our taste anyway. So get into like get into it intellectually with us. And, you know, a good debate's always good. Like, a, you know, the, there's a little bit of like sexual energy playing in like a, a light fight, not like a not like a serious issues fight, but like a light debate where you're kind of like going at each other a little bit. Like fives tend to like that. Um, so that's always a good idea. I would say be patient with um, our tendency to like get there through the mind. Like, dude, talk dirty to us. Like we're big fans of that. <laughs> as far as I can tell, like, um, you know, like do the turn ons via the head first and then like the body will follow basically. Um, so, yeah, like the light like dirty talk fantasy, um, you know, tell us what you want to do before doing it. Like that's always all good because it's, it turns on the mind, which turns on the body. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's something I don't think that I, in my life I've ever really, uh, explored very much is that idea of like the real intellectual side of having, having that in your sex life. I don't think that's something that I've ever really considered or thought of actually until I think I saw you talk about it in a video on, on your Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Sounds that great. Makes me peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a shot. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I never thought about it. Or like how you, how fives just like get lost in your head. Like I have, I've always, I've had a consistent problem in my life with getting, especially with a six wing of getting like, I think about things too much. And I start, and, and sometimes I just stop, stop thinking about what is happening in the moment at all. And now I'm thinking about other things that are going on or, 
you know, it's, it's really funny. The different the scenarios that have happened because of the fact that I was, just wasn't even remotely paying attention because I was out, I was a hundred miles away because all mm-hmm. of my anxiety or whatever took me somewhere else. And so the idea of thinking about, you know, foreplay as a, as an idea of in being like in the head and being intellectual to really kind of center yourself in that moment. And then probably your anxiety and everything else would come down as a five wing six is what I'm kind of thinking. But that's really kind of fascinating to me. I just thought of another idea from what you're saying. Um, and I'm not sure if you were saying like you were a hundred miles away in general in life or like actually during sexual situations. But I mean, I crash into furniture a lot, like a lot. Uh, like, <laughs> like I definitely understand. Um, another idea to do for fives because of what you're saying of like, we can just get carried away and carried away and carried away is like, this won't work for everyone and ask for consent first. But if you do like a, like a little bit of light pain stuff, like biting or whatever, that can really bring us back to our body from that like floating head place. And my experience as the five, as a five like grows and becomes more healthy, they'll still stop liking that. But if they are in more of like an average level where they get distracted during sex, it's like whatever, bite their neck, like make them pay attention. And that actually does really work to embody us back into into the moment. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Ask permission first, though, because some people don't like that. Yeah, I would. I would. Get, I would probably make me angry. <laughs> Be like, stop it. <laughs> or, or something a little less extreme, but find a way to like, you know, pinch them, tease them, like remind remind us that we're there in the body, not just in the head. Just slap them in the face and say, "Pay attention." <laughs> I don't do that unless they ask you to. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the last piece here is. Uh, you know, in your videos, you talk about transcending like the the, the sexual hangups uh, of a five and of, of other numbers, but specifically of a five for this conversation uh, and achieving what I love you call the uh, ecstatic sexual potential. Yeah. And when I was when I was uh, sending out emails on this to promote this, I I, I felt so weird. Like, am I going to get caught in spam with all of this like sex language in the did you the emails? I don't know. We'll, we'll see if they just stop letting us send emails. Thanks to Sam E. Greenberg over here. Explore your sexual potential. The email filters are like no. <laughs> so yeah, so let's let's talk about that. And and essentially, what the way that I interpret that is, how do you um, grow as a sexual partner, um, and to where you're, yeah, you're getting past your own hangups? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it's the same question. Like, how do you transcend your sexual hangups as a five and like achieving your ecstatic sexual potential? Um, so I'll say really quick, like what I define as ecstatic sexual potential, that's basically like sex beyond your ego and your ego in this case being your type structure, your ego defense structure. So like, transcending your ego you can have um sex that has like a sense of bliss and union with the partner as well as with like all of consciousness because your your individual self your narrative your story your me you know that disappears your narrative disappears and you can experience um you know sex just as union so there's a lot of like transcendent ecstatic states that people are probably more familiar with such as dream states hallucinogenic drug states. Um, Orgasm itself is um, a transcendent state. You know, when you're the few seconds that you're in orgasm, you don't have a self. You're just in the experience. Um, Meditation, experienced meditators um, can experience transcendence. So 
all of my sort of like advice and ideas has to do with achieving that kind of state eventually. So for fives, our big barrier to this is around that avarice, that selfishness trait where we sort of like hoard ourselves away from other people and treat ourselves as if we don't have an impact on other people, as if we're not connected to other people or the world around us. That's ultimately selfish because we're like taking ourselves away from the world. So that's like the barrier we want to sort of overcome. Practices that a five can do to to start to transcend that and to start to transcend our our hangups and our ego patterns. There's a bunch. So first of all, like find any way to break your lifelong isolation patterns. Like you two have discussed on episodes, like, yes, we need alone time, but the consistent pattern of withdrawing and defaulting to alone time is actually detrimental to our true well-being and to that of our intimate relationships and to the world because the world actually like needs us. So try going close when you want to go away. And Mm. like Fies will hate this. I mean, it's the worst. But when you feel like a sudden urge to get far away from your partner, like do the opposite. Just try it. Um, And normally that results in like a real opening of a depth that you would never otherwise experience. You have to actively decide to do this, though, because we love our isolation patterns. They feel safe and comfortable and great, and they make us feel superior to other people. And I mean, it does feel it feels good. You know, we like we like how we feel when we're alone. But if you want to go to this deep, transcendent place, like go towards when you want to go away. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely resonated with me. I'm thinking through like the the times in my relationship with my wife where we have had the biggest like breakthroughs and the best sex afterwards. Like it was those times when I wanted to pull away and I forced myself to do the opposite. And then we had a really hard conversation. And then, you know, and then it was it felt like, you know, the best moment in our relationship afterwards. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Ditto. I mean, I'm like packing the car in my mind to like drive to Canada and like <laughs> change my identity. And I'm not exaggerating. And that's the moment when like, you know, if I choose to to not withdraw even emotionally or or physically at all, it leads to the biggest breakthroughs as well. I mean, it's it's pretty tried and true method. It's just really difficult. So yeah. if you can... If you're not partnered, you know, find a partner or look for partners, value partners who don't put up with your, can I curse on here? Go for it. (laughs) Who don't put up with your bullshit. Like fives get away with a lot because we're doing all of our patterns like behind a closed door. Like there's not a lot of accountability for fives, unfortunately. So either find a partner or like coach your partner you already have into not letting you get away with withdrawing. Um, Ultimately, you have to choose that, but that don't put you on a pedestal or allow you to be the unspoken center of the relationship. Like find someone who can stand up to you and be like, this is crap, like you need to stop right now, which is surprisingly really difficult to find. I know this doesn't sound exactly like it's re- it's related to sex, but it is. Like the like you said with the um, you know, the moments you want to withdraw and you don't. It's like you have the best breakthroughs and the best sex. It's like it sets you up to have these transcendent moments. Get out of your head and into your body. And this is a few ways. Establish a regular like practice of embodiment, whether that's like yoga, breath practice, running, dance, whatever works for you. Like trust me, it will impact your sex life if you are more embodied. And then like during actual sexual contact, also 
practice grounding into your body as like a meditative practice. So over and over, you'll catch yourself. It's just like regular meditation. You'll catch yourself going into your head, thinking about something or even thinking about the sex you're having. Pull back into your body and like realign your awareness into your body and do that over and over. It'll be super difficult at first and over time become easier and help you to have more of a body presence experience. You can also try um, like a shared breath practice with a partner during sexual contact, like breathing together. Um, Like in Tantra, you can breathe, like one breathes out into the other one who breathes in. Um, That's really great for establishing intimacy. And then um, just view sex as an opportunity to get into your body and to transcend your type issues because sex is one of the like best opportunities we have for an embodied experience and it can really help a five um you know who is often like a floating head to remember that we have a body and like what pleasure it can bring us and other people and i'd say finally like if you're someone who does a lot of like um, engaging with pornography or erotica or fantasies just like take a break from that it's not bad to do those things but like take a break if you're relying on it until you feel uncomfortable and see what comes up for you when you can't use those as your defaults and those would all be like ideas for ongoing practices that can eventually support you in um, transcending your type hangups. Sex has always seemed like something that comes naturally to everyone else and robotically to me. I enjoy researching sex. I love learning how sex impacts the brain and the body, how the opinion of sex has changed as our culture has changed, how sex impacts relationships. Sex is a very, very interesting topic. But if I could change anything about sex, it would have to be for the female arousal response to be more like that of the male arousal response. And what I mean by that is women are naturally programmed to go from a mental state of arousal where we have to check off all these mental boxes before we can enter a physical state of arousal. Men, their arousal often starts physically and stays physical. As a female five, it is almost impossible to get out of my head in transition to a physical arousal state. I find it impossible to even talk about sex without sounding like a scientist um so yeah that's that's what i would want to change though skip the mental straight to physical to be honest i wasn't even sure how to answer this question um it's difficult for me to talk about I have a great fear of it, but because it just means that little to me. Um, I'm not sure if I am indicative of all fives or if it's just me, but as far as sex is concerned, it really has little meaning for me except to maybe join two people who have a great um, comfort within one another, a great love for one another. 
it's the ultimate act of intimacy to me. Um, but I can take it or leave it. It's not something, it's not one of my higher needs. It's not something that I feel like I have to do or must have. Um, I think if I could change something about sex, it would be uh, the, the knowledge that we don't necessarily need it to find significance, that it's not our higher nature or our higher selves. It's not something that must be done. Um, I, I think that if people feel like it's a need for them, that's one thing, but it's never been a high need for me. And um, I think it just, it depends on the individual. But I think if it's not something that actually is the ultimate act of completeness between two people, um, their ultimate act for one another, then I can take it or leave it. Awesome. Cody, did you have any questions? I did. Yeah. Um, I Well, so I was kind of interested in the, the subtypes section, actually, because we've never really talked about subtypes and we've talked about like which ones we think we are. And um, I didn't know if we wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit just for a minute, because I found it to be really interesting because I think I actually feel like I spent a lot of my time in a self-preservation subtype and i don't know if i don't know much about subtypes so i'm going to say that i don't know if you can grow into other subtypes or if you if that's one of those like core driving factors that you can you kind of stay with i will say like a lot of the theory on subtypes is newer and right. is being developed um but in general they think you have like a stacking that's pretty consistent yeah um wherein you have like the top one then the second one and then the third one is like your blind spot yeah okay i know what so i know my stacking is then (laughs) Uh, what's your stacking it's uh social preservation and then uh the sexual for sure i never i did wouldn't have thought that before because i think i leaned more heavily into the self-preservation growing up because i mean i do love those things i love coming home and being like just being in my own head or playing a video game to unwind or like and and when i'm out in social settings i think about that (laughs) like i'm like man i can't wait to get home and have my own time to do nothing and like not have to be on you know just be on and uh and I look forward to those things. But then a lot of the times I feel like socially, the the idea of reading group dynamic and reading body language and trying to interpret where someone else is with obviously in any situation, but like sexually, that makes sense too. I think that that's probably going to be the most dominant part of, of me. I mean, I'm doing this podcast. So obviously there's a major social dynamic where I get something I get a lot out of you know, talking to people and doing this kind of thing. So I feel like it can't be, I can't be predominantly self-preservation in that way, I don't think. But it's interesting. I don't know. What do you think, Jose? What do I think about what? You're stacking. I'm curious because she thinks that we're the same. No, I don't. I have a theory that Josiah is a sexual subtype, but that's it. No, so, uh, you know, listening to you talking about them, I'm going back and forth because like between social, sexual, when you describe uh, like uh, from a sexual perspective, I it's I sound more like a a sexual subtype from other perspectives. I sound more like a social subtype. So it's kind of hard for me to to gauge exactly because, I mean, one of the things that she talked about was um, the elite group piece. Like I spent thousands of dollars on masterminds because I love being in elite groups. Yeah. 
I like, like that's totally me. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if you got into this too much, but, um, the, my understanding of the sexual subtype is more about withdrawing into an, like into another relationship. And that's just never really been, when I was younger, I, I definitely, um, romanticized and idealized, um, romantic, I, um, relationships and that sort of thing. But, um, in practice, I don't feel like maybe, maybe my wife would say something different. I don't know, but I don't, I don't No, She probably wouldn't cause she's a four, but I definitely don't feel like I, um, I withdraw into a relationship. I, I tend to withdraw above like the social and in, in that and, and sort of get, you know, I get lost in these, uh, lofty ideals and, and philosophies and things. Um, yeah, same. And that's part of it. So, um, it's, it's hard. I don't, I'm not, I'm kind of on the fence there. Well, if you're on the fence between um, which of those two is is predominant, would you say you relate to being like self-preservation blind, which would be someone who's like forgets to eat dinner <laughs> like all the time, <laughs> like just like what <laughs> doesn't, you know, doesn't care so much about the environment is like, you know, probably chronically sleep deprived on purpose, like, et cetera. You mean someone who stays up um, after everybody goes to bed and, and like binge watches UFO documentaries? Yeah, that doesn't sound like anyone I know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely me. That's 100% me. <laughs> neither one of us, we were talking about this earlier, but not on this, right? Like it was in our sound check before this, and neither one, me or Josiah ate dinner before this. Like we just and I was this. mad at them, but I ate a hamburger while I was walking here. So that's not that much better. <laughs> Do you think sex addic addiction is real? If so, are fives likely to be more susceptible? Oh, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am on the fence about it. Yeah. Um, I went on someone else's podcast who's like a recovering sex addict and told them that I don't think sex addiction is real, which is like a tricky thing to do. Um, I'm on the fence. I like, I think, I think it is because I think people can be addic addicted to anything. So I think like addiction to like, I don't know, running and jogging is real thing. So like, yes, in that sense, sex addiction is real. I don't think it's like this big capital letters thing like heroin addiction. Um, in terms of if fives are more likely to be more susceptible, I haven't thought about that too much. But um, I do think fives are quite susceptible to addiction generally just because of our isolation and a few other issues, but in, in general, because of our isolation. So if other types get into addictive behavior, people will notice and, and sort of like stop it, intervene it in much sooner, whereas fives can be in deep, deep addictive behaviors for years and decades. And like no one knows because we're so excellent at secret keeping. So in that sense, I think like sustained addiction of, of all kinds are probably Fives are probably susceptible, more susceptible. I don't know about sex addiction specifically. Cool. Okay. That's interesting to me. I, I would, I, let me, I want to actually add on to that question real fast. I, I'm kind of interested in the fact, I don't know what your background is in this regard. And it definitely is kind of a shift in topic. I'm sorry, but I've, I think that I've, I've wondered the same exact, I've pondered the exact same thoughts, but in the framework of if the idea of sexual addiction comes from a background in religion, especially with evangelical Christianity in the US, because I feel like because sex is so taboo and so um, considered such a dirty and terrible thing, it's really easy to say that someone's a sex addict and kind of label them as that and in those circles. And I feel like that's kind of been ingrained in our society. And that's kind of been my perspective of it coming out of religion and in my background. 
Yes, actually, I do have thoughts on that. I was sort of hoping we might even like talk about purity culture a little bit because we all grew up in the church. Totally, um, yeah. You too, way more than me. But the what you're just saying, um, a metaphor I sort of would use is like around dieting, um, mm. which is like lots of research has shown that dieting, like strict diets leads to like binging on food um, yeah. because like you get into this mentality like these foods are bad, like I can't have them. Um, and I'm bad if I have them. And then like physiologically, your body's like, what the fuck? Like, I want to eat those though. And then you eat, you overeat them. So like, I think the exact same thing is true of sexuality, not just the church, but abstinence only sex education, which is like has its origins in religion, but has been taught in public schools all over the country for years and decades. All of that, I think, leads to like the overindulgence and the out of control like sort of addictive patterns. Not that's not the only thing that causes them, but I do I do think it's related. Um, so I think you bring up a super good point about it. I think that I think that's true too. Um, in in so many ways, I I feel like I've experienced that personally in my life, where once I got out of the the religious mindset and the religious context in my own life, it was amazing to me how much more accepting I was of all different contexts of sexuality and relationships and what people do or don't do <laughs> between other people. And personally, what I'm more accepting of, like, I, I feel like there's so many things in my life where I would have considered it like, oh, like, why would you want to do that? Or like, you know, anything just in just in general acts, not even just like sexual preference or anything like that. But like, I feel like that it's interesting to me that I personally, even if I'm personally not necessarily comfortable with it, I'm not, I'm not, con I don't, I'm not condemning of those things. And I'm much more accepting of all different types of relationships and whatever, you know, what seems to work with people and that kind of thing. So I think that that's really interesting how as soon as I took the religious aspect out of my life and was like, okay, there's not a God judging me for every single thought and act that I'm doing that I'm suddenly more loving and more accepting of all people that are different from me in different types of of likes wants and needs yeah i think it's just really interesting so I, that definitely seems to me like it would be directly connected and we know that you know oppression is largely rooted in projection to where like you know people who are suppressing their own for example homosexual desires tend to be the most anti-gay like i mean that's been proven that so like our our self-judgment is what causes us to judge others. And when we release that, then we tend to stop judging others. Right. Yeah. So I have a question. Um, do you think that fives are more sensitive to perceived rejection um, in a sexual relationship? So where I'm coming from, like where I've seen, I've had to go through a lot, uh, work, work on a lot with um, and growing in this area is uh, it can be hard for me to admit my sexual needs um, and and unpacking that the and I don't know how accurate this is but the way that I feel about it is like that means if I if I express my needs and that means I'm I'm saying that I have to rely on someone else to meet them and so that's a very very vulnerable and uncomfortable place so I'm like hypersensitive to any hint of a rejection of those needs and um, and that can cause all kinds of other other problems I don't know if you've seen that. Very vulnerable of you to even mention that. So good job. <laughs> um, hell fucking yes. Fives are, <laughs> fives are so rejection sensitive. Um, and it's like it's sort of counterintuitive because like we have this reputation of being like kind of hard and, you know, emotionally um, stoic and stuff. 
But in the, what is it, the harmony triad where it's two, five, and eight, hmm. where I was trying to do the five thing and like look it up so that I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. But <laughs> I believe it's two, five, and eight. I know eight is in it that are all considered to be the most rejection sensitive types of the Enneagram. Hmm. And again, eights, it's like, that seems counterintuitive, but eights are very rejection sensitive. So absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things that keeps us in isolation is when we go to connection, we feel extremely vulnerable and we assume we'll be rejected or we're worried about being rejected. So we just shut back down into like our private isolated world where we won't be rejected and that feels better. So what you're saying, it's like, I would say part of every true intimate relationship for a five, this would come up where mm. even if you're not actually rejected, you are sort of worried about being rejected and like, this can not just in sex. I mean, this can look like, you know, you just want a, a hug or a cuddle and you like don't even want to ask for it because what if they say no? Um, and it's so hard to admit that that's why you don't ask. You're just like, no, I don't need it. I don't need it, though. I'm, I'm good. But you're not good. So like, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's, and I'm working through it myself, so I don't have a lot of like sage advice on it. But yeah, I feel like that's been probably I don't know if it, it's definitely one of the hardest struggles in relationships for me is because uh, I, I didn't for the longest time, I didn't understand it. Like I didn't understand that that's what was going on mm. be because, especially because of the way that I viewed myself, like the story I told myself that I don't need anybody. I didn't realize that's because, you know, I'm so afraid of rejection and it's because I feel so vulnerable expressing it. Like that took several years of unpacking different layers until I got to the point where I'm like, oh, that actually makes sense um and i can more recognize it in the moment but but even then i still have these um these like mental habits there's like unconscious habits of of doing it without realizing it and withdrawing without realizing that that's what i'm doing and so that when i have, you know i have to just like constantly train my brain to be aware of that and try to stay in the moment and be aware so that i can <laughs> learn how to uh live in that vulnerability as much as i i can without <laughs> without going crazy so <laughs> yeah it sucks and like that's where it's helpful to have a partner who tells you when you're doing it because we often don't mm. know until it's been quite a while um and then i also wanted to say about that um i like was musing earlier about all fives being avoidantly attached but i actually think yes that we are all avoidantly attached and um there's a, a theory within attachment resolution where basically like if you're um avoidantly attached which means like if you get hurt, upset, et cetera, you run away mm. and you don't expect to be cared for. If you're sort of working on resolving that, that the next step is to go into anxious attachment, which is like the needy clingy one where you're like desperately thinking people are going to leave you all the time. So if you're, you're working on these issues, you'll find like you suddenly go from being that stoic, like I don't need anyone to like, like, oh my God, I'm going to be abandoned type of feelings. And that's actually very good. Cause you're, you're like on the path to resolving it, but super difficult. That was me from like 16 to 21. <laughs> it was very like, I was, I was distant and cold and also ridiculously emotionally needy and just stupid. Like I, I was so, I annoyed myself thinking back. I'm just like, Ugh. I, sh I shudder at the thought. <laughs> oh, I'm getting real vulnerable here, but I'm really curious about this. So, uh, <laughs> Going down that same path, um, one of the things that I realized recently too is that, you know, I, um, in a lot of ways, and this, I think this also kind of um, comes with the way that we grew up in the religious setting and stuff, but 
um, there's this story that like sex is the one thing that I'm, and this is definitely a story, but sex is the one thing that I'm like truly dependent on someone else for. And so it can sometimes, especially when I feel rejected, be, feel, be easy to feel resentful of that. Um, and so that has caused, that, that has caused some issues as well. And then, um, the other thing that I was thinking about too, during this whole conversation is like, because I rarely come out and like directly express my sexual needs, I tend to, um, test the waters a lot first. So I do a lot of little subtle things to see like, you know, is she in the mood? And I might like joke about something just to see how she receives the joke. And then like, you know, little tiny things just sort of testing the water. And then, you know, in the moment I'm thinking, um, I'm working towards like, this is maybe foreplay or something, but really what I'm doing is I'm trying to, to stay safe and I'm trying, and when I'm at my most unhealthy places, I'm really doing it, looking for evidence that she is rejecting me so that I can then reinforce that and go into isolation. Whoa. Well I expressed. Hate- yeah. Yeah. I totally relate. Um, interestingly, cool. that testing the waters thing is something that sixes do a lot. That's a, like a really common six trait with the sex because they are really afraid of, you know, rocking the boat or what have you in the relationship. So they they also will not express their sexual needs and they'll do like really subtle, like imperceptible um, almost testing of the water. So that's interesting. Right, that, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's interesting that you um say that you do that as well i think it's like it's like blowing my mind a little bit that you just said like you're trying to like make her reject you so that you could like be like yes i've rejected and isolate because i definitely do that too but i have never expressed it like that well we're all learning something yeah (laughs) this was fantastic like this uh i gotta be honest you know i think I think Cody and I were both a little bit nervous of like very vulnerable, uh, very vulnerable topics. And I don't know how this is going to go. The easiest um, possible topic, which people have no <laughs> hangouts about and no judgments about. Uh, Sam, you navigated it really well. And we really appreciate your insight. All the research that you put into all of this. Um, it's just uh, very insightful, uh, very helpful and valuable. So um, we thank you so much for coming on board. And that's all I have to say, I guess. <laughs> thank you all so much. This was so fun. Hey, it's Josiah, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us in this episode. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com. 